in the next few weeks that we are going to discuss the predestination of God, which deals with eternal things. We're going to talk about what we refer to as the propitiation of Christ, which is external things. But we begin with what we're going to refer to as the regeneration process of the Holy Spirit, which deals with internal things. And so I'm going to work it in reverse. Because when you're dyslexic like me, you do things backwards. So that's what we're doing. And I kind of got tickled. Somebody said Sunday after church said, when we started talking about the Holy Spirit, somebody said, I got a little nervous. Well, I understand. But we should never be nervous of the role and responsibility of the Holy Spirit because without it, the Bible says that the body without the spirit is dead or unproductive. So faith without works is unproductive. It, it has everything to do that you can have, as God did in the Garden of Eden, you can have a man, Adam, but without the spirit, it's just a paperweight. You need to understand the mechanics of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. Appreciate the, the calling of God and appreciate the redemptive work of Christ, but you never really appreciate it until you understand what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. So this morning, I'm going to take you on a, on, on a little journey, not too far, because I guarantee you my throat will give out. But it's called the, the role of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to deal with this probably today, and then we're going to go on. Uh, this was found in St. John chapter 16, verse 13. In the King James, it says, So when he, the Spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself, but whatsoever that the Holy Spirit shall hear, that's what he's going to speak. And he will show you things to come. Now, Jesus is about to leave planet Earth. He's leaving. And so instead of him just leaving and saying, good luck, you're on your own. He doesn't. He said, the spirit of truth shall come and he shall guide you into all truth. So first of all, this word, we understand. Remember a couple weeks ago, we did the apple, the alos and heteros. It's the same apple. It's the same fruit. That when it says the spirit of truth, what is the spirit of truth? Somebody said, well, it's, it's the Bible. Oh, I understand that. But that's not, but the spirit of truth is the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus, unlike James chapter one, does not speak out of both sides of his mouth. Bitter and sweet water does not come out of his mouth. So what is the spirit of truth? John 14 and six, quote that with me. I am the way. I am the alitos, a truth, and I am the life. So Jesus is the spirit of truth. And the word spirit means breath, ruach. In the Old Testament, breath, breeze, wind. So Jesus is the truth. And just what he's saying is, I will not physically be here with you, but my breath will be with you. Amen. Have you ever walked into the room, especially the men's restroom? <laughs> when nobody's in there? But you know for a fact somebody's been in there? I know your poop don't stink. I understand that. I need you to think. Jesus said, physically, I'm not going to be with you. And he couldn't tell them because he said, where are you going? He said, if I told you these things, you cannot bear these things. So it's just better for me to just tell you, I won't be here, but my spirit will always remain in you. 
and with you. Absolutely. So the spirit of truth is Jesus. It's Jesus's spirit. It's Jesus's breath. It's Jesus's wind. It's his essence because they knew him. You get around some people. I mean, I'm not going to go into detail because I got a long way to go with this, but the spirit of truth is the spirit of Jesus. Now the word guides you. When the spirit of truth shall come or when my spirit will come, it's going to do one thing. It's going to guide you. Odegeo is a word for God. And by definition, Odegeo means it's someone who is an expert not only on the landscape, but the legacy of the landscape. How many is kind of new to this church? How many is kind of new to this city? No, it's not a trick question. You? Okay. This was a health spa. It was burned up. About five acres a long time ago, 1990. It was burned up. God intentionally set it on fire. He did. We bought it. Over by the interstate, I don't know of you, some of you haven't been around, that used to be a nine-hole golf course where the old Holiday Inn and Prairie Kitchen is. Where Walmart is, that used to be an old restaurant that was owned by the Phippses. It was the Black Saddle Cafe or a restaurant and the Corral, the Black Saddle Hey, I'm telling this. You're not preaching. You, 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 just, you just showed up. Black Saddle Rest, uh, Hotel and Corral Restaurant. Is that right, Virgil? Ask her if that's right. So especially the kids or grandkids will drive around. I said, well, that's where that used to be. That never was that. That was that. You know what that is? That's a guide. When Gail and I went to Washington, we, we kind of walked around town and get, get the clue we went to see Jordan there. And, and then the next day, we, we rented a taxi and he drove us around. He said, well, blah, 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 blah. We went by the same places, but he said, did you know that happened, that happened there, and that happened there? When we go on cruises, we always go to excursions and we'll rent guides because we want somebody. I don't just go someplace. I like to know what's going on. The Holy Spirit, what's this? Is not only expert in the landscape, but the legacy of the landscape. The Holy Spirit's not just taking you somewhere to take somewhere you somewhere. He will inform you of, of the legacy that's involved of, of where you're at. And Jesus said, he'll guide you into all truth. Matter of fact, he will navigate you back to me. This whole church is navigated by the Holy Spirit. There, here's a spooky word for some of you good old Baptists called Pentecost. Here's, it's spooky. It means 50. How'd that shock you? <laughs> oh, I'm afraid you're Pentecost. Well, yeah, I believe in Pentecost. It's 50. I mean, is that too spooky for you? 50. The Holy Spirit's job is not to speak of himself, but it's to point you to truth. And anytime that there's a spirit moving in the church does not point you to the truth of the word of God of Jesus, don't follow that spirit. Because I told you two weeks ago, John, St. John chapter 4, verse 1, we are going to try every spirit to see if they are from God. And I want to know why you're doing that. And I, I want to know why you're running around the building. And I want to know why you're doing this. All the spirits got me. I want to know what kind of spirit it is. I'm biblically told to do that. Try. Dokamazo is the word. It's a science word to put it under a beaker tube, put a fire under it and see what's in the components of it. Why are we doing this? 
I'm not trying to disavow the Spirit of God. I just want to know why you're doing it. And the, if the motives are right, and our motives should be in this church, and it should be within the church, the motives should be pushing everything. The Holy Spirit is not here to just have a spiritual runaway. The Holy Spirit is here to move us to Christ, truth. Because Jesus said in John 6, he said, unless my father by the spirit draws you, you can't even come to me. So he is truth. So I don't know all the landscape. Uh, Daniel Bork was there when the 13 colonies began the United States. I wasn't here, but he was there. So you'll have to ask him about that. But all through this town, if, if you're new, but all through this town, people know things about the legacy of this town that you're not aware of. You go, I didn't know that. So the Holy Spirit's job, because he was with God on day one, that it's his job to, to lead people or guide people, Odegeo, to give you information of what's going on. Acts chapter 8, verse 30 through 35. So here we have a story of, of Philip, which was one of the disciples, he has got a, boy, he got a barn burner going in Samaria. I mean, there is revival broke out. I mean, revival broke out. And I mean, we got people by the gozillions that's getting born again. Really? And one day the Holy Spirit told Philip, I want you to leave all this. What? I want you to leave all the fame and the fortune and the crowds and and the first thing Philip says, get behind me, Satan. That's, not what he would say. That's what we would say today. You mean leave this TV network? And, yes, leave it all. And I want you to head to the Gaza Strip where there's nothing or no one except cactus and lizards. And he did. I've had a lot of people say, why do you stay here? I mean, really, why do you stay in this little hick town? I like it here. I'm called to be here. I'm called to be here. A bunch of cactus and lizards. Now, don't look around to nobody. And he's out in the middle of nowhere by himself. He left all the Samaritans and the fame and then all the bad And he left it all. And he's, now he's, he's out in the middle of nowhere and, he's, and he sees a, a chair coming. It's, it's the eunuch of the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And Candace was not her name. It was just the title of the queen. But and this guy is, took all the money, some money to Jerusalem to worship and on the way back. Philip's sitting on the side of the road and this guy comes back and he, and he noticed he's reading a parchment, a Bible. And Philip's listening to him. And, and it's kind of funny, it's not funny, but I'll tell you, like the last cruise we were on, that we were eating dinner in the dining room and this woman, she was probably in her 30s and she was from somewhere. Who, I mean, I know she was from somewhere, but like, I'm a, I don't know if it was... She wasn't from Wilson, I'll tell you that. And, and, you know, they're very quiet. And I heard her singing, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. You know. Now, I didn't say anything. I didn't witness to her. I didn't say anything. I just, you know. You, you, you'd be surprised if you just listen to people. Maybe there's a lot more going on in their lives towards God that we're really aware of. So Philip is just, they're going by and he's, and he's waving. He's, he's holding up a Bible and he hears this guy reading. And Philip said this, and Philip ran to him. I don't say the word thither, but Philip ran to him because the Holy Spirit tells him, to. he said, you go to this guy. And this guy had a lot of money valuable, so the Holy Spirit had to tell him or, or they'd have killed him on the spot because he was a very wealthy man. 
So Philip ran to him. He said, he said, he said, I heard you reading Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? That's what he asked him. So this eunuch, he just, he just left, he just left Jerusalem, and now he's got a program. They hand him out a program. Church bulletin, if you would. And on the way back, I mean, what else is he going to do? He don't have a cell phone, so he's reading the church bulletin. And then the church bulletin, they had printed out the 53rd book of, of Isaiah. And so he's hearing this guy read, and he said, hey, he said, I hate to bother you, but do you have, have any idea? you understand what you're reading? He didn't say, can you read? He said, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31. And he said, how? And so the guy said, how in the wide world of sports can I understand it unless somebody, what? Guides me. And he wanted Philip to come up into the chariot and sit with him. Watch this, verse 32. And the place of scripture that he would read was this. That he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb done before his chair. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken of the earth. And he asked the question, he said, so I pray, who's this prophet speaking about? Himself or some other man? And listen to what Philip said. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and he preached to him, Jesus. I understand that most people can read biblical scriptures, but I always ask Christians, you got any idea what you're reading? Do you know what it means? Do you really know what it means? And I combat people that, of the prosperity preachers and all this stuff saying you'll never get sick. That's a lie. I'm telling you right, we're humans and we're subject to frailty and even sickness, and I don't like it. But I'll tell you one thing, my chief goal in this church is by, empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to push you so close to Jesus you can feel his breath. And if I can get you that place, it don't matter what happens, that he'll comfort you. He showed him Jesus. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, it said of this, that everything that is written in this book, book, the volume of the book, is about me. Hebrews 10 and 7. Everything that is written in the volume of this book is about me. What Jesus says. So the whole Bible is filled about Jesus. The whole Bible is full about it. And, and that's where we should be going. So here's the quote. We know this. There's two types of, of ministers in the church. There are preachers and there are teachers. Preachers proclaim. Teachers explain. Okay? Now, the church I grew up in, that on an educational level, the, the preachers, what they lack in intelligence, they made up in volume. Okay, I understand. But boy, they can preach it. Woo! Preachers proclaim. So John the Baptist and company, they were preachers. They proclaimed. All through the Old Testament, these men were proclaimers of one to come. But Philip and the Apostle Paul, these men were teachers. They explained it. Oftentimes, Jesus would give parables. And he said, the 
The kingdom of heaven is like this. And his disciples will listen to him. And the kingdom of heaven is like that. And the kingdom of heaven, and, and you know what the disciples do? They do what you do. Oh, amen. Preach on. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then when the meeting was over, they go, we didn't understand anything you said. And so what would he do a lot of times? He would explain it. Matter of fact, the two to the road to Emmaus, he expounded, the Greek says, the scriptures. Luke 24, he expounded the scriptures. He took them apart. And he says, we're going to connect the dots, tra-la-la-la-la. This goes here and that goes there. And it was said about me here and that there and that there and that there. And they go, ah, now we understand. You are the Messiah. And their eyes were open. My job here is to expound the scriptures. By definition, expounds, it means take a long time. Now, the Hebrews puts it in this way, X is on the outside sword and to pound. It means someone is pounding it in you. Expound. So according to the hardness of your head, the harder I have to pound. And that's why I have jackhammers sometimes with some of you. So what was going on? Isaiah was the preacher. And the reason why I say that, because he read it and he didn't know. Philip was the teacher. So he said, even though I'm reading this, how can I know unless someone guides me? And here's the deal. I'm trying to encourage you this morning. We can read the Bible. Somebody said, well, I've read the Bible through a year. Many times, well, but yeah, but you still act like hell and you live like the devil. What good has that done you? Oh, don't be sensitive with me. I know y'all. I pull in your driveways at night when you're throwing dishes at one another. So don't. But it's, it is more profitable to you is when the Holy Spirit can become engaged in your life and, and he can reveal things and open things to you. And now then you go, yes, I understand the mechanics of it. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So I want to read this if, if we can. This is the Messianic chapter that he was reading concerning Jesus. So what did Philip do? He just climbed up into his chariot and he sat on his lap and he said, let me tell you. Teachers do that. Teachers will not quit until they think you got it. That's why I always tell you, always act like you get it or I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, okay. And always. So let's look at the passage that he was reading. Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, please. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Chapter 53, Psalms 22, is the Messianic chapter. Jesus was oppressed and Jesus was afflicted, but yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so Jesus, he opened not his mouth. Jesus was taken from prison and from judgment and whom will declare his this generation for he was cut off from the land of the living. They crucified him at 33 and a half for the people, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. That's what this guy was reading. Now, he'd been reading it, but Philip just got there. So we got to back up 
we're going to read, we're going to read the fullness found in five and six. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, can I do what you pay me to do here? I'm going to explain some things to you. He was wounded. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this. He was wounded. Jesus was wounded. Medical science states that there are five levels or five categories of wounds. Now, Ron's here and Danny's here and they can go off in variants and variables and I understand that, but there are five categories, science says, as dealing with a wound. And we will deal with all five, but not today. We will deal with one. But in all wounds, Jesus experienced all five wounds. It has to deal with our senses. So when you just read something like he was wounded for our transgressions and yada, 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 you're missing. Do you you understand what you just read? Yeah, he was wounded, but do you understand what that means? No. Would you like to know? Yes. The first wound that we will deal with will be an easy one. It's called contusion. In these five categories of, a, of, of medical science, there are five levels of wounds. The first one is contusion. By I mean by this, it means that he was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities is not sin. Iniquity is the repercussion of a sin. For some of you that was asleep, iniquities is not sin. I've used the example, it's it's an agricultural term, but for someone to to have a tree that's young and step on it and, and it didn't uproot it, it just bent it and it grows crooked. That's iniquity. It grew because something happened to it at an early stage of its life where we get a word for wicker, twisting, a wick. Iniquity is something that happens to you because the result of someone else did something to you. So he was bruised for our iniquity. So what does that mean? That the word contusion means bruise. Webster defines it. It's a bodily injury where the small blood vessels are broken beneath the surface of the skin with no blood lost outside the body. These other wounds, we're going to be leaking blood like a bad radiator, but not this one. You can't see it. Nobody knows you're hurting. There's some of you, when you leave here, I'm seeing blood running. Wherever you go, 
The woman that had a hemorrhaging blood, we'll talk about that one. But I mean, it didn't take a rocket science while she was trying to talk to Jesus. She was leaking like a, a hose in a radiator. She had a hemorrhage of blood. She had an issue. We all have issues of something. She had an issue of blood, and we got issues of all kinds of stuff. But a contusion, a bruise, there's no blood flowing. Nobody has a clue here this morning that you've been hurt. Nobody has a clue that you've been, you, something's happened to you and, and the skin's not open, but blood vessels have been broken in your life and you're bleeding on the inside. But as long as you're closed and you got long sleeves on, nobody will have a clue. We just paste a face, a smile on our life. Contusions come by brutal, forceful blows by rods or fists. So the scripture says they smited him. It doesn't mean they just gave him a little slap. When they smited him, they either hit him with a pair of brass knuckles or a shackle of iron with the forearm. And before I leave this planet, I'm going to show you, you better get that little wide anemic Christ off the cross. Because that's not the Christ on the cross. I'll show you this morning. So the word bruise in the Old Testament is, is called dakah, and, and basically it means to crush, to damage, to break into pieces. But, but when, when you ask the question, why was he bruised for our iniquities? And so here's, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a better picture in the New Testament. This is found in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And this is a great verse. I mean, it's just tremendous. It's full of all kinds of vitamins and nutrients and a lot of stuff that goes kapow, but we'll stick with something short. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan. Now, he's going to do it under your feet, but we're not going to get lost in that because that's not what you think, but it's kind of like it. So the God of peace is going to bruise Satan. See the word bruise? Centribo is the word. And here is the perfect description of the lexicon. To be beaten beyond recognition or repair. to be beaten beyond recognition and repair. When he was bruised for our iniquities, it means that he suffered something on the cross that we would encounter every day of our life probably by people's words or actions, but he, he took our place on the cross he knew what it was like to be bruised. He knew what it was like to take a beating. He knew what it was like to be damaged on the inside that he kept this secret, solid contusion hid from the public's view. Some of you this morning understands bruising. Bruising is so powerful. Matter of fact, I want to show you what it says in Isaiah 52, verse 14, about Jesus. But many were amazed when they saw him. Saw him where? On the cross. His face was so disfigured 
it seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, please read that with me. One would scarcely know he was even a man. Just leave that up there for a moment. On the cross, way before he got to the cross, they beat him to a pulp. Either this is true or it's all a lie. And when it says that he was bruised for our iniquities, it means this. He experienced the feeling of being hurt and damaged and wounded so severe that we wake up sometimes not even recognizing who we are. His face was so disfigured. His body, was, his, his body was such in ravage that, that they didn't even know that the King James used the word visage was so marred. The word marred means mangled. An eye hanging out. Teeth missing. Isaiah said we didn't even know if he was a man or an animal. We didn't even know who he was. Did you know it's possible for you as children of God to start out healthy and wealthy and wise and good looking? But life has its way of taking toll on you. People has a way of afflicting wounds on you. Damaging you, bruising you, beating you. No, there's no blood running, but make no mistake, the forced trauma of somebody's words or action has broken up the blood vessels in every part of your body till you get up one morning, you look in the mirror and you go, this is not who I thought I would become. I never thought I'd grow up hateful. I never thought I'd grow up mean. I never thought I'd grow up, especially when I gave my life to Christ. I never thought I could become this and we become this. This is a lot better than you're responding. What you promised at the front, you didn't fulfill it. Every day that unfortunately the sin has the ability to damage us, the people of God. And so we began with a pure heart and we began with a pure motive and, and we push all our chips into a, a spiritual leader and we push our chips into a husband or wife and say, you know, I love you and I'll protect you. And they didn't. And something happened. They stepped on you. And you began to grow the wrong direction. You began to grow twisted. And your whole life you become crooked and twisted. And that's just the way you learn to adapt it. And you wear spiritual long sleeves and, and high shirts around your neck to cover up the blood vessels that have been broken in your life and your heart's been broken and your, 
and your mind's been broken and your nerves are shattered and you're just painting on a face to come to church. But I will tell you, you no longer have to do that. He went to the cross not only for our sins, but he went to the cross being bruised. He know what it's like to do good for people that hear the whispers in the background talking about that he's a lunatic and he has a devil. He knows the feeling what it is to be betrayed by his own family. Even his brother said, I wish you wasn't around. Even his mother pulled the mother card, but you kind of pipe it down. The people that they grew up trusting in the religious crowd, they tried to kill him twice. Keep in mind, we've disagreed, but I've never truly tried to kill you, as far as you know, but I've never done that. Bruised, I hate you. I wish you wasn't even born. You make me sick. You're a hypocrite. You'll never be good enough. God regrets the day he puts you on planet earth. You've made a mockery of this thing. And through the years, if we're not careful being sitting in the church, that we've heard that and it's done damage. No, no physical blood has ever leaked from the, from the, from the pew but with hammering words of, of dysfunctional preachers, they've used rods to beat your brains out. And you go home at night and you take off your spiritual clothes and you look in the mirror. And what it was said about Jesus, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even recognize me anymore. I don't even recognize me because the very thing I promised that I wouldn't do, I did again and again and again. And I become, I evolved into something that I can't even identify if I'm a man or an animal. I don't even know if I'm saved. Please don't raise your hand, but some of you lately have just looked in the mirror and said, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore because if I saved, I wouldn't act like that. But in my heart, I'm screaming not to do it, but I do it anyway. I don't even know who I am. You've been bruised. You've been crushed. Something has hit you with forced trauma to break blood vessels in your spiritual body that it disfigures your face. This is why it deals with his sight, the way you see. One of the five senses is here, bruising, sight. What I see I become something that I never intended to become. Jesus was bruised this morning for all of our bruisings. And sometimes we are so bruised that we think that we are beyond recognition and repair. We don't recognize ourselves in the mirror. But deep down we have this cry, this is not really me. This has just something happened to me. And I wrote in here this, here's the answer. Just accept the work of Christ and he'll repair all of your, and restore all of your woundings. Why would it say that Jesus was wounded? Why was he bruised? for all of our iniquities is because 
He knew we would experience the mental and the emotional iniquities in our life. And he said, because my church will experience it, I'll experience it for them. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, that do you understand what we're reading? If you don't, here is the meaning. Someone has hurt you. Someone has spoken words about you, to you, against you. Someone that said they loved you and you could trust them and they turned out to be an adversary and it did something to you at a young age. It caused you to grow crooked. And your whole life that you just followed and pursued that crookedness, your whole life in, the, in, in, in a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and all that other stuff that it was a result of somebody somewhere stepped on you. And you lost hope and you lost vision, you lost trust, and a bruising began. Nobody knew it, nobody saw it, nobody had a clue. But underneath that clothing was broken vessels and road maps of busted veins due to an injury of words of actions of someone else. Cain said, it is my iniquity, is my sin too great for you to forgive? And the answer is no. This morning, what I want you to understand as the people of God, that it's possible and it's probable that you wake up in the mornings and look in the mirror and say, I don't recognize who I am today. This is not who I was when I began my journey with God. But because of the people that I work with, the people I live by, the people that I associate with, because of the government, because of this and that, it's done something to me that I became something in my mind. and I just don't like what I see. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if I should get healing or put a gun to my head. I don't know. I've been hurt all my life. I've been lied to all my life. I can't trust anybody. I understand. But I want you to know Jesus understands full well. He knew what it was like to be laughed at, to be ridiculed, to make fun of, to be called a heretic. He knew all those things while he was doing good. Helping people, raising people from the dead, opening blinded eyes, feeding all, everybody that he came in contact. But yet the people that should have loved him brutally tortured him. Tortured him so much way before he got to the cross, they beat his face to a living pulp that they didn't know who he was. I'm going to tell you who you are this morning.
You are a son and a daughter of the living God. The blood of Christ reigns in your life. The spirit of Jesus flows through your body. Your mind is filled with the Holy Spirit, giving you reason and logic. You've been hurt and you've been wounded and you've been bruised and you've been oppressed. I understand that, but the one that came before us, the great prophet, the great redeemer, he took all of our iniquities and he took it to the cross so we wouldn't have to carry him around anymore. So this morning, here's the simple answer for all of our iniquities. The first wound is contusion, things that are hidden in your life that hurt. We just give it to Jesus this morning. It's not for you to carry around. Stand with me if you would, please. Take somebody by the hand if you would this morning. Don't get chilling church yet. Father, we are your people. Called by your name. We have the Zara seed of God within us. We have the mind of Christ, the spirit of God himself that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. But we are all recipients of iniquities. We all have experienced the pain of hurt and harmful words and hurtful actions. We've all been bruised. But what you sent your son to the cross for, you sent your, cross, your son to the cross specifically for our bruisings. That we don't have to carry them around anymore. We love you and we love one another. And we're here to bear one another's burdens. And we make a promise this morning through holding hands of affection and protection that we will honor one another and we're going to respect one another. And we're going to use our words to heal, not to hurt anymore. We've been beaten up and bruised long enough. We want to restore the body of Christ. And for whoever's in this place that's lost their identity, they don't recognize they're a man or an animal. We understand it. The good news is that Christ went to the cross. He carried our bruisings. That our complexion will be the, the complexion of a child. Father, would you forgive our sins this morning once again and our imperfections and our weaknesses. And we cast all of our cares on you this morning. And all of our iniquities. And we just lay it at your feet. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And the people of God say amen. amen. Turn to two people in a very serious way and just say, you know what? You're very beautiful to me. You're... I love you. I don't care what you think about yourself. I know what God says about you. You're looking in the wrong mirror. You need to look into the mirror of the word of God. 
Once again, I'm telling you that I'm the Philip. I'm the explainer of what's going on here. We are identifying what Christ did in his victory. And we're sharing the cup with him. And we're sharing the bread with him. But we will no longer be victims of bruisings. He overcame. And if he overcame, ladies and gentlemen, we can overcome. Communion servers, please come this morning. In the next few weeks, we'll deal with wounds. And I'll tell you, it'll just change your whole mind process about Isaiah 53. When I say to you this morning, with great love and maturity, you have no idea what somebody's been through this week. You have no idea. You have no idea the phone calls someone might have got. You have no idea of the harassment or bad news someone might have got this week. You don't have a clue. And I'm telling you, that's why the Bible says, greet one another with a kiss. I'm not telling you you have to kiss one another, but be gentle. Instead of slapping them on the back and say, we got a good game tonight. Take the time to be thoughtful and courteous and loving and remind them of their worth. Because maybe this morning on the way to the church, they looked in the mirror before they walked in the door and said, no one will accept you. No one will love you. They all know what you've done. That's a lie. You're loved. You're loved this morning. You are needed and you are wanted. Simply, they sat down with the disciples and he took the bread and the cup and he said, this this bread, my father rained down bread and manna and your fathers did eat of it, but they hungered again. But John 6, he says in this story, but I'm the bread of life that my father has sent down. And if any man eat of me, he will never hunger again. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the lamb's blood that was shed at the first Passover. They would take the lamb's blood and place it in the shape of a cross upon the door. That when the Abaddon or the death angel would come that night, that he would pass over that house. And Jesus looked these men square in the eye and he said, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and my father will take now my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He was bruised for our bruisings. Father, this morning, bless this cup, bless this bread, and for all the people of God that we come to you this morning in great gratitude for Christ taking our place in Jesus' name. Amen.